0: Hello and welcome back to the final episode of 2022 and this is our uh, last of our top seven. This is our top Saturday episode uh, of the year and um, before we get into that, uh, Pastor Adam, can you let the folks know what's going to be happening with this podcast
1: let me give you a little roadmap. <laughs> Today is the final day of 2022. It is New Year's Eve, and we uh, we have put out a lot of sermons this year, Dave. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. We have sourced over 300 sermons for your listening enjoyment. If you are a premium, well, that is if you're a premium listener, mm-hmm. you have over 300. But yes. even if you're not a premium subscriber, we've we've had uh, hundreds and hundreds of sermons yeah. for you to listen to. And uh, so we wanted to just give you a heads up. We're taking a break, a little podcast sab- sabbatical. Sabbatical. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so at the end of the month of January, we're coming back. Uh, with a new season, season six, episode one is going to start on January the thirty-first with a testimony Tuesday. So uh, we look forward to uh, having you back again after the month of January. Uh, it's been a great year for the podcast, incredible growth and new listeners all over the place. Uh, but we uh, we are going to take a break. And uh, so if you do need to hear a sermon or two, mm-hmm. uh, don't worry. Uh, All of our history is still there. You can go back. You can listen to as many sermons as you want to. Even though they are not newly released on the podcast, but we've got a long history of them in our, uh, in, our in our repertoire. Yeah. That's right. So go back in the feed. Uh, you can go back to some of the early, early ones if you want to hear what it sounded like before this podcast was so refined. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, so today is Saturday, which means we are releasing our top downloaded Saturday episode. Now, uh, for those who are not premium subscribers, you may not even know this. Mm-hmm. We have. I don't think Dave. That we have ever released a Saturday episode to the to the free subscribers. It's right. very possible this could be their first study day Saturday that they're hearing. So let sure. the, let the people know what they're going to be hearing today.
0: Well, uh, this actually came as a surprise to me because and usually you <laughs> because uh, usually uh, we feature a uh, Sunday school series on Saturday uh, that was done maybe in Prescott, maybe in Chandler. Um, and uh, during this year, we actually took some time to, uh, to record uh, the audio version of We Can Take the Land by Pastor Wayman Mitchell. And uh, well, I say Pastor Wayman Mitchell, it was actually a, a gentleman from the Prescott Church that compiled it mm-hmm. by, inter- uh, by several interviews, um, including uh, from Pastor Mitchell. So we took some time to record the different chapters. Um, uh, Pastor Rome Kovos helped us out with that as well. He uh, he recorded some as well. Uh, so big shout out to, <laughs> to him Absolutely. for that. Absolutely. Um, so the top downloaded episode for Saturday was actually Chapter Three of "We Can Take the Land," which was in uh, which was actually an interview with Jack Harris, Harold Warner, and Ron Jones. So it's, uh, I mean, I was classic stuff here. It is classic stuff. Yeah. Um, And I was actually surprised to see that this would be the one, but lo and behold, here it is. So we can take the land chapter three. Uh, This is the interview with uh, Jack Harris, Harold Warner and Ron Jones.
1: Enjoy it guys. And thanks for a great season five. We can't, we cannot express how much gratitude we have. Uh, Enjoy today's. Well, I was going to say enjoy today's sermon, but enjoy today's chapter Chapter. and we'll see you next season uh, at the end of January. Thanks a lot, guys. We can take the land.
0: Interviews with three men of our fellowship. Jack Harris is pastoring in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He personally has pioneered four churches. He pastored in Flagstaff, Arizona for six years and during this time planted 14 churches. He has been an international speaker and has held crusades in the Philippines, Mexico, and Spain. He has an excellent insight into pioneering churches. Ron Jones is pastoring in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and has been there for six years. In that time, he has planted eight churches with one in Belfast, Northern Ireland. He has personally pioneered five churches and has spoken to pastors worldwide on pioneering churches. God has given him a practical wisdom on establishing churches. Harold Warner is pastoring in Tucson Arizona and has the largest church in our fellowship. He has pastored in Tucson for over 10 years and has planted 16 churches from Tucson. He is a strong voice in our fellowship and has remarkable insight in the Word of God, applying it today in pioneering churches. How important is the pioneer to our fellowship? Warner Church pioneering is the cutting edge of all we do. We are here today because of pioneers. Just like evangelism outside the four walls is the cutting edge of your local congregation, church planting is the cutting edge of our fellowship. Jones. It's everything. Whether he's the man sending out the workers or he's the man going out himself, it's the pioneer spirit that keeps the church in the will of God and keeps the church in its destiny. How did you know you were called? Jones. The way that I knew I was called was that I had a desire to work for God. I don't think that It is our business to call people and tell them constantly that they're called. I think the way you know you're called is that you have a desire. I think it's that basic. That desire determines where you live, what you do with your time. It determines a lot of things. Now, if the world and all that carnal and fleshly ambitions and desires override that, then we lose our destiny can be lost. Warner, it's like anything else. You know that you know that you know. When you have to tell a man or convince him that he's called, then there's a good chance that he isn't. We all experience self-doubt, but there is somewhere in the bedrock of that person's life that he knows that he's called. Anybody that's called needs to mark it down that their call will be tested by people, circumstances, and everything else. Obviously, in my life, that is a little more visible. When I had my automobile accident, there was an overnight change in everything and a testing. Two things probably made the difference. I just still believed that somehow God would do something. I had no idea what. If I had to go to vocational rehabilitation and learn how to make wallets, I would have. Number two had to do with Brother Mitchell. I think I got out on a Monday and the first thing he did was to have me preach. I didn't know if he was clear in his mind about what was going to happen, but he threw me right back into involvement. He was placing confidence in me and that made a major difference. What practical things do you tell a man when he's first going out? Harris, to be gracious to people, not to be overbearing or authoritarian in trying to establish his authority. To keep in contact with us. He's part of a fellowship. He's not an independent. Jones, the thing he has to understand is that he is reaching people that have never been trained or brought up in the faith. He has to love them where they are. The first six months of that ministry is mainly relationship. That means meeting their needs with a lot of feeding and not a whole lot of correction. He will have to leave the level that he is on and go down to the level that those people are on. Have you ever seen grown people talk to babies? They don't talk to a baby like they talk to adults. They talk baby talk. They make complete fools out of themselves. You're tender with people. You take into consideration their feelings. So the name of the game is working with those people where they are, gathering them and bringing them along until they are able to take stronger ministry. How do you know what city to go to? Warner In looking for a city, there are a number of things. Number one is, what is the man's burden? As much as possible, I try to work with a man's burden. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest, and I'm not trying to orchestrate that. But I want to work with a man's burden and what he feels. We don't just spin the globe and say, this is where I want to go, but work with a burden that has been nurtured over a period of time? Secondly, is there an open door? There are a lot of things that we have responded to because there has been a definite open door. We have touched people in another city. They are there and looking for a church or somehow an opportunity is opened and there is a definite need that is beckoning us to respond to. Is there another church in that area that can be helpful, that can give oversight and some support? The final thing would be the climate of that city. Is there an openness? This is something that is hard to define in words, but there must be an openness. Harris. I've been in various circumstances in church planting. I'm not afraid of big cities like I was when I first started pioneering. And I'm not intimidated by little cities. I prefer a larger city over a small city because of the overall potential. I look for a place like Brother Mitchell does. I look for growth. I look for something that is moving in the community so that there is a change and an influx of people. That's all natural. And then there is a personal witness from God. Does the size of the city matter? Paris. I think the ideal city is in the 30 to 100,000 range. That's a personal preference of mine. The next best would be the 200 to 300,000 range. Anything over that. And I think you're going to have to find a way to break it down. You just can't touch the whole thing. When I go into a city, I look for population and I look for a strategic layout. I try to find the identity of a city. I want to see where I can put my church in there, where people will know where I am and I can somehow move that population. You have to be able to get into an area where you can project yourself among that population and where you can make some noise so that they know you're there. A good example of this is in St. Louis. Johnson was there and he had several areas he had been looking at. He showed me some I didn't like at all. Then he showed me this Florissant area. It's an area with its own identity that has about 60,000 people in it. It sits right outside of St. Louis. It's actually a suburb city. It's got all kinds of other cities around it, but this is an individual, unique city. You could get a building on one of the main streets. A building where people would know you're there and get some advertising where they could say, hey, it's a church over there. They can't do that in a big city. Warner. Yes, if it's real, real small. What is important is the influx of new people and new ideas. You take a city that is a dying city, where there has been no growth, there are no new people, and they are not open to a lot. That can be a real hindrance. When Jesus chose his disciples, he chose men from Galilee. There was a strategy there because Galilee was called the Galilee of the nations. This was not the Old Testament Judea, Jerusalem. So they were people who, by their upbringing and culture, were open to new ideas and new things. A number of cities we have been into don't have the openness and there has been a real struggle. These cities have a tendency to be religious, closed, cliquish, and wicked. Should a man do most of his activities inside or outside of the building? Warner There needs to be a balance between inside and out. The key to going outside is to draw them back in. Visibility, impact, and touching people are factors. Jones He must go outside. That's why he is there. His building isn't going to attract hardly anybody, unless he's going to give away food. They're not likely to come in there unless they're coming to a movie or something. His personality isn't going to pull them in. T.L. Osborne said, go out where the sinners are. Is there any danger in men thinking they are owed support or a salary? jones when we went out it was an honor today with some there is more of a professional approach like you owe me we were surprised that anyone would give us anything anybody who would have invested in us had to have tremendous vision there is a tendency now for guys to think that we owe them but it is an honor they are not working for us but they are working for God. We are willing to invest in their ministry, and it is an honor to preach the gospel. I see organizations all over the world that have men that can't even afford to buy a suit. They can't buy their kids a pair of shoes because organizations don't care about people. They are the ultimate bureaucracy. What kind of price or struggle is there in church planting? Harris, I preached a sermon recently on self-death. I approach this not from a morbid standpoint, but the biblical picture of the seed. In the life of the seed is the germ, and it will remain a seed forever unless it dies, unless it falls to the ground. When a seed falls into the ground, it gives itself over to the forces that are beyond its control. That's what self-death is the willingness to submit to forces that are beyond our control. As the seed decays, life is released from the germ, and so instead of death, there is life. There is minor death and decay in the seed itself, but there is a raising of the plant and the fruit. The seed pays a very small price in reality to fulfill its destiny. To illustrate this, I used some wheat seeds that were found in the hands of a 4,000-year-old mummy. The mummy has withered away, but the seeds are still in the hand intact. If those seeds had been planted in the right circumstances and allowed to go through their normal processes without being interrupted, one of those seeds would have been able to produce the equivalent of the whole wheat harvest of the world in 20 years. Instead, they lay stagnant for 4,000 years without any change at all. Now think about that in terms of you. Think about being limited to being what you are forever. With that death process, your nature is totally altered, and you become something that is fruitful, fulfilling, and ongoing. Jones, it's a painful experience because of everything. You're new. You have no credibility in the city. You're not recognized as a church. When I was younger, they used to think we were some kind of Christian Mickey Mouse Club. You had a storefront building. There is a stigma attached to everything that you're in and doing. Your storefront has a stigma. Your services have a stigma. Your way of reaching people, evangelism, praise, everything. You have to forget all that. That congregation has to be birthed. It's painful to birth things. For birth to come forth, there has to be travail. Why does the opposition seem to catch so many men by surprise? Warner. Maybe they haven't been listening. It may be they come out of a successful church and have never made room for failure. Maybe because they've never done anything hard in their whole lives. Jones, the devil doesn't roll over simply because we've come to town. You shoot at him and he'll shoot at you. I think that one of the greatest problems I had was presumption. I felt like I could have revival simply because God wanted revival. I didn't realize that revival costs something. There is a price to pay. How do you know what to do in a city? Harris. I try to pray and get a feel for the community and what it's going to respond to. What will be of interest there? I try to get a sensitivity and inspiration for what I should do. Most of the time, I try something general like a prophecy film festival that will attract people. In a city like Wickenburg, you might be able to show a Christian cowboy movie, And they might be interested because it's a western town. Whereas if you were going to Philadelphia, I doubt if anyone would be impressed. You have to find something that appeals to that community. How can a man develop that sensitivity? Harris, I think it's a matter of being open and wanting the will of God. God's responsibility is to speak what he feels like speaking. Our responsibility is to be willing to listen. God has the option of speaking anytime he wants to. You and I should have a heart that is prepared to listen when he does speak. For example, how many times am I in prayer meetings going through my regular prayer ritual? We just go in and we're praying for the same people and the same thing. What else are you going to pray for? I don't hear a voice from God every morning, but I will be in there one morning faithfully where I belong and suddenly God will speak. God talks to me simply because he knows that when I do hear him, I will respond to the best of my ability. What would you do if you've been in a city for six months and had almost no people? Warner If I had been there six months and didn't have any people at all, it would be time to evaluate. Either evaluate whether we should be there or what we are doing there. That would be the time that we should think about getting a job. I would say that you could make a distinction between nobody at all and just a few. We do have some works that really haven't broken loose, but they do have some real quality people that have been birthed there. That is evidence that there is a core to build on. Harris, try something else. I don't think that six months is really long enough to tell if the city is going to respond. If you've been there six months and nothing has happened, then you better look at yourself. But if you've been there and there just hasn't been a major breakthrough, I don't think that is the time to quit. It may be time to think about a job, but it's not time to quit. What kind of things did you preach on when you started new churches? Warner. When I first went out, I was preaching all kinds of stuff. We've all heard it said that you don't get real heavy. That doesn't mean that you go a year or so without ever doing anything, and then all of a sudden, after a year, you say, Guys, I've been fooling you. This is what I really believe. I think that as you look in the gospel, you find that Jesus never demanded from sinners what he demanded from his own disciples. To sinners, the grace of God was the gift of God. To disciples, it was meat or the real substance. A lot of that is knowing where people are and working with them on that basis. Jones What I preach to begin with is blessing, faith, Christian living, and what a joy it is to be a Christian. How Christ comes into our homes and changes us, makes our marriages work instead of fall apart, makes us into people of dignity, people who have a hope, people who have a future. How long was it before you preached on money? Jones, as far as money is concerned, I didn't preach a whole sermon on it right away. What I would do is mention the benefits and blessings, the privilege we have of sharing with our money, and how God has taken care of us. One of the things that they are going to watch is how we give. What do you look for in a man about to be sent out? Jones. I look for a man who is productive where he is. Whether he is on the job or wherever he is, He flows out of himself to other people. He ministers life. People don't leave him discouraged, but he leaves them strengthened in their faith because he talks God. I look for a man that has a wife. You can tell a whole lot about a man by looking at his wife. If she loves people, if she's excited about ministry... You can sense a quality of life about her that is conducive to ministry. That would no doubt be a reflection of him. I look for a man who is able to take correction. That proves he's not looking for position, but is motivated by a real love. He is sincere about the things of God. He's not a joker. He's not hanging out at the racquetball club, but he is a man who loves ministry He is a man of prayer. I'm watching his heart and his reactions more than I am his actions or what he can do. Warner. Is he fruitful in my church? Does he relate well with people? Is he able to organize and initiate things without always having to be told? Are his family and his marriage together? Does his wife support him? Are there special problems with men coming out of a large church like yours? Warner, yes, one would be the feeling of instant success because they have been involved in something that seems to be successful. The feeling that I'm from Tucson and that will guarantee me success. Well, it doesn't. Another would be the numbers shock of going from something that is large to something that is really nothing. The other is that now they are on their own and they don't have a big backup crew, a support crew. In our assembly and in other large churches, you have a massive support crew that can make anybody look good. So when you're sent out from that, you have nothing. What things can cause men to fail? Harris, the greatest mistake is in the attitude of how you project yourself to people how you come on to people. Another problem area would be the maintenance of relationships with your brethren and your headship. Exhibiting an independent spirit, in my estimation, a third thing is a guy just sitting back waiting for it to happen without putting out any real effort. Jones. They presume that certain things are going to happen, and when they don't go as planned, they're destroyed. Another thing is lack of discipline. I encourage men that no matter what kind of licks they're hitting, to stay on their knees, stay right with God, and read the Word of God. Many preachers today don't read the Word of God. The only time they read is to get a sermon, or they open it up to get a promise every once in a while. But I'm talking about reading the Word of God. Discipline. How you relate to people is another factor of failure or success. Do you expect people to become full-blown, full-grown disciples in three months? Or do you realize that these people will always have problems and they need somebody who cares for them where they are? There has to be a lot of love to build a work for God. Warner. One is... The lack of a personal discipline and personal initiative. This is clearer to me all the time that if someone is going to pioneer, he has to be a go getter. I'm an organizer. I like to organize and plan. It's very easy for me to so organize things that you could have a lobotomy and still do it. Somewhere a guy has to take a personal initiative, he's pressing buttons. You can look at men that are successful, even young pioneers, and that quality will be in every one of them. A second quality is the hurry-up-itis. This is when they fail to balance visions and expectations with the reality of time and people's growth. A third thing, which is related to the first, is the lack of strategy. Sometimes they forget everything that they have been taught by the church, or they are sent out of a church where they didn't have the background to even have a strategy. What things cause men to be successful? Harris, you can be successful by being in the will of God, being where God wants you, and viewing people with compassion. I always gripe and moan and bellyache about people, but those who have worked with me long enough know that I go out of my way to redeem the very ones who I complain about. I do like people and they know it. They know that I'm concerned when I'm chewing them out. When I'm acting tough, there is something that I project of concern. And I think that is because I really am concerned. That causes them to respect and respond to leadership We respond to those who care about us. You cannot imitate that. It has to come from your heart. It's got to be there. It developed in my ministry because I had a pastor like that. It didn't develop just by imitation, but by actually coming around to his viewpoint and believing what he believed because I assented that that was right. I wanted to be like that, but I couldn't just imitate it. Jones. Some bullfighters were discussing how to fight a bull. Each one got up and went through their strategies. Finally, one bullfighter got up and said, I'm not sure how I do it. I just fight the bull. That's how I am with success. It's a mystery. Some things that can be seen in men that do well are heart, faith, and faithfulness with money. In Chariots of Fire with Eric Little, they didn't figure out how he could run with his head thrown back. The guy who played the part had a hard time running like that. One of the things that was pointed out in the movie is that you have to have heart to run. You have to love what you are doing. If a man's full of unbelief, then he will produce what unbelief always produces, which is zero. A winner trusts God. Faithfulness with money is also the mark of success. He realizes that money is to serve the purposes of God. If we will let money be released into the kingdom of God, we will circumvent a lot of problems that people are having. Financial integrity marks a winner. Warner I probably stumble here more than any other place. I look at what God's done and I'm amazed. You ask what the key is and I have to say, I don't know. But a couple of things are definable. Number one is God's grace. I recently preached a sermon on the intangible factor, which is hard to explain. It's just God. It's Joseph and the Lord was with him. There is no other way to explain it but that the Lord was with him. There is an intangible dimension of God's grace. The second would be a positive vision and positive outlook. Some have a positive faith which causes them to contend for what God has. They declare, I believe God can do it in spite of my stupidity. They are able to adapt to all circumstances When they are trying to find direction, they find something that is hitting, and they adapt and start flowing with that. What are some important habits a man can cultivate? Harris He shouldn't smoke, he shouldn't drink, and he shouldn't cuss. One new pastor actually told me that pioneering almost made him want to cuss again. Jones Probably the most important habit he can cultivate is to pray and love God. If he does that, he'll come out right. Warner. One is discipline, especially because a young pioneer pastor has large chunks of time. He must pray and seek God. He is trying to get some kind of direction. He is planning and pursuing strategy, and that way he has a goal and is working towards something, rather than just hoping that something is going to happen. He should be disciplining himself in the area of reading and study and personal growth. In a younger work, you have time to spend with people and visiting people. I remember when we first started, I spent a lot of time with the people that just got saved. You didn't have anybody else to work with and anybody else to do it. What habits hurt? Warner one is a siege mentality. We see the ministry as just one constant crisis in battle and we lose balance and perspective. Here we are in a siege mentality hold up like the Battle of the Alamo. We're just trying to fight off all these things rather than having something to aim for and to attack through prayer and aggressiveness and strategy. The second thing is isolation. This is especially true if there are battles and setbacks, which there are always going to be. We begin to isolate ourselves. We allow our failures and insecurities to isolate us from headship or our fellow pastors. The third is that we begin to neglect our wives. We just ignore them and become insensitive to them. What insights can you give concerning money? Harris The main thing is that I give. When I preach on money, I have no qualms in my conscience at all because I give. What has concerned me about finances lately is that there are several of our churches that have people but can't generate resources. It's always the same story. All my people are poor and ours are rich. It's something in the man. Now, I understand that there is a limited amount of resources and you can't pull Fort Knox out of a small church, but there is a principle in a man and an attitude that is poison of always taking in and never giving out. A lot of guys on support have that attitude and it projects back into their congregation. You see, this is a kingdom principle. The kingdom is built on self-giving And I believe that liberality is one of the key elements in successful churches and successful people. That doesn't mean that they will always be rich or never run tight, but there is a kingdom principle that is released in a congregation that gives and miracles begin to happen. Warner. Men who are undisciplined in their own personal finances will be undisciplined in the church finances. Men are unrealistic. For whatever reasons, they just think the Mother Church has all the money in the world and are unrealistic in their planning. Men don't budget. Men don't pay their bills. What ticks you off the most in dealing with young men? Warner, a number of things. There have been times that there just seems like a real lack of appreciation exists. Another area is bad financial decisions where there has never been any honesty. They never have come and said, hey, I blew it and this is wrong. They run little scams to cover the facts. It bothers me that guys don't send in their gold sheets. When you're pioneering a church, you don't have many people. It doesn't take you that long to do a gold sheet. The reason you don't send it in is because you don't have any money to send in for tithes, and that's because you haven't been planning to do that. You've just been hoping that it comes in. Another thing would be that they plan to have a revival but make no financial preparations. At the last moment, they have to call the mother church and say, I need help. Or they do a disservice to somebody who came because they didn't plan or they have bills they haven't paid. Harris, they go deer hunting when I'm paying them a salary. They spend support money on bailing other people out. They buy equipment instead of cutting their support back. Sometimes that is a legitimate need, and I'll bow to that if they ask my permission. But when they just run these scams on me, it really bugs me. We can sacrifice any amount of money, and that's what is expected of us. But ask them to sacrifice out of their own money or their own ministry, and that's expecting too much of them and it ticks me off when they don't send their tithes in. What about the husband-wife relationship? Warner, I believe that a good relationship with his wife is critical. In a ministry, she'll make or break him. The wife should be a support to her husband, especially in a new environment. She's able to bring a support to her husband. She should know the difficulties of isolation, We had no understanding of this because it had never been done before. There are some real difficulties involved with isolating a wife. To the male personality, geared to achievement, this is not as critical. When your wife is removed from her home, she's removed from her security. And to a woman, her security is far more important than to a man. When she's removed from her friends and her fellowship, there is a danger of isolation, Now, the man is consumed with vision and achievement, but she doesn't have that. I didn't realize that when we went out. My wife was really lonely. She didn't have any friends. I was consumed with vision, but she was consumed with friends. For a pastor's wife, probably the greatest area that she wrestles with is people problems. People can be extremely cruel to a pastor's wife. The pastor has a hard shell he just shakes it off and says, they're devils. But a wife is much more sensitive. So being able to handle people problems is critical. Some of your first converts are going to be women and you can't be following up on them. A wife that's a people person is a great advantage. I have some sound convictions that she doesn't have to be praying 15 hours a day. But if she's a people person and able to care and relate to people, it's a tremendous advantage. She needs to learn to love them and commit them to God. She needs to toughen her hide without hardening her heart. It's good for her to see the importance of her role, especially in a pioneer setting. With young converts, she's invaluable. Harris The biggest problem Patty had was living with me. She wasn't ever shook up, but I was always shook up. And of course, that reflected in our home. The thing that young pastors deal with is that they think they are the big, heavy spiritual dude when they go out. My attitude was, hey, I'm going to break this thing loose, woman. If you want to go, fine. If you don't, fine. You keep communicating like that, and pretty soon she begins to feel like she's not a part of the will of God. The husband has a tendency to blame what he interprets as her carnality as the reason he's not making it, rather than looking at his own carnality. You see, a super spiritual nature is nothing but religious carnality. They look at their wife, who is just the good little woman that she's always been, and they begin to blame her. You're what's holding my ministry back. One day, Patty came to grips with God and came to me and said, I always thought that I hated the ministry, but it's not the ministry that I hate. It's you. And that is because I acted like an idiot all the time. I really did abuse her verbally, destroying her self-worth. My philosophy on wives is that they just need to be wives and minister to their children and their husbands and be faithful. Some of these girls are scared to death about being pastor's wives because they think they are going to be required to be something they aren't qualified for or aren't comfortable doing. So they feel intimidated and they look at other girls who are more outgoing and aggressive and they feel they can't measure up to that. So they feel they can't pursue ministry with their husbands when in reality, all we want them to be is a wife and mom. Finances also put a lot of pressures on the woman's security, but all of that can be circumvented if a man will act decent. If she's secure in her love relationship, she'll go through the hard times with him. But if he's out discipling the boys all the time, which is no different than him wanting to go out and play pool when he was a sinner, then he's neglecting his family, and that's a problem. Jones One of the things the man needs to do is realize that even though he is in the ministry, he has a responsibility to his wife and to meet her needs. She is a person and she has dignity. She belongs to what God is doing and is not just along for the ride. He had better treat her good. Because of all the people on this planet, she's the one who's willing to give her life to him and to go with him. She is truly valuable, and he needs to include her. I've seen men go out and not even include their wives in conversation. They're afraid she's going to say something stupid that's going to embarrass him. Well, it may be good for his ego for her to say a lot of stupid things just to embarrass him. Let me say one thing more about wives. I see wives who don't even try to play an organ. I've seen girls learn to play an organ in no time. The organ is easy to play. These girls can sit behind the organ and begin somewhere, but they don't even begin to make an effort. I know girls who don't want to be around people, and they need to be around people. They need to learn to work with wives who have babies. They need to say positive things and not negative, stupid things about other women's babies. Warner, I would like to add that one of the common mistakes made by wives is chronic complaining. This city is not like the one I came from. These people are not like the people I'm used to. They begin to bellyache and complain. This isn't a problem the first month, but down the road, especially when the pressures of pioneering come, and maybe you don't see all the results you want to see and financial pressures arise, if the home is not strong, it begins to make wives bellyache and complain. Sometimes it turns into resentment of the mother church. Another mistake is the culture shock. Rather than being flexible and adapting, they become real narrow. Another thing would be they quit disciplining their kids. What do you mean by dominion of a couple? Jones. Pastor Mitchell said a long time ago that the greatest asset a man has in the ministry is his wife. Well, I didn't realize this, but when I gave up and started loving my wife, she was no longer extra baggage, some carnal creature who I had to put up with, but she was a vital source of strength to me. And it was amazing how many times she spoke for God and gave me a word in season that was right on. In fact, the Lord did speak to me one day and said, together, you are an invincible team. Now we are a great team. Honestly, we have a fantastic friendship. The greatest thing that ever happened to our church was that they saw that I loved my wife. It made people want to be married, and it made married people want to be happily married. It gave them hope. How can you tie in new people? Warner. Spend time with them. There was nobody else to follow up on converts, and so I did it. Begin to instill vision in these people. You can't do that with somebody who's been saved only a day, but begin to instill a vision in them that God can do great things. In the beginning, they probably look at that and say that this guy is very positive. Another thing I think is very important, especially in pioneer work, is to give those converts a broader view That's why conference or getting together in a situation with other churches in our fellowship is really important. It gives them a broader view than just your deadly dozen. So, for tying people in, patience and persistence really pay off. Jones, first of all, don't answer questions they are not asking. The second thing is to realize that the reason they're coming to that church is relationship not because they are helping you build your church or because they have a vision for evangelism or a vision for world ministry. If people feel like they belong and they are respected, then that relationship is what holds them there. Harris, God's gifted me to be able to impart vision into other people. The only thing that I can tell you that makes me be effective is that I actually have the vision. You can't give what you don't have. The reason I can preach on commitment and get results is that I'm committed. You have to have what you're giving. A lot of guys mouth all the truths. They have learned it. They know it by heart. They know the principles. They understand it. But they don't have a heart commitment. Well, I am committed, and that commitment is proven in the test of time. There were lots of times where I could have copped out, but I didn't. Jack, when I met you, you took your people to other churches a lot. Does that help tie them in? Harris, when your church is growing, the worst thing you can do is let it become introverted. The thing we must realize is that we're not capable of supplying everything those people need for growth. You have to recognize ministry in other men and bring them to your church at strategic times. Secondly, take those people and expose them to other environments in our fellowship. I took them to churches that were stronger than us so they could get a perspective of what we could be. I took them to help labor in churches weaker than us so they could see where we were and how we'd grown so far. There needs to be an even balance. Why do people come to a church? Warner. They come because they're curious. Not everyone comes because they're seeking God. I came because there were some girls that witnessed to me. Probably a major thing is friendship. Studies have been done that show a large percentage come because they knew somebody, that they work with somebody, they have a relative or some kind of bond already established. So the friendship factor is really, really important. Also, with the lifestyle that many of us come from, we were obviously looking for reality. Harris, I think the thing that people want more than anything else is an answer to the dilemma of their own life. They want leadership that can somehow be relevant to their life's conflict. The church isn't a place where we just draw people in to fulfill our dream. The church is where we minister to them. Then we take our dream which God has given us, a vision that's rooted in the will of God, and direct those people. We show them purpose and meaning for their lives. That's what the church is about. How do you break through the barrier of 15 to 30 people? Harris, it's in the man. There is something in the man that has to break through that. A pastor at each level of growth is breaking through a dimension in himself and in his people. When they're not getting above 30, the problem is the pastor. I'll lay it out right there. But when they start getting stalled at 50 or 60, you're dealing, in my personal feeling, with the people. They have to reach a certain commitment level before God's going to give more growth. Now that's assuming that this isn't a long-term thing. If it's a long-term thing, it could be the pastor not bringing them to that place. But if we're dealing with a normal thing, and a guy seems to be hung at 50 or so, the guy shouldn't despair but realize that God's just trying to work something out in the people. When those people have grown, And the pastor's grown with them, then they can accelerate on. But at every level of growth, there is a responsibility that the pastor has of growing himself. Warner, I'm not really sure. Some of the things in our city that have happened have just been the grace of God. There has to be the personal development of the man as both a friend and a leader. There must be a beginning to equip people to begin to minister, to equip other people for vision and for growth, and to begin to develop them to be able to function in positions of responsibility. These are important. As they begin to catch a personal burden, this brings an acceleration. Brother Mitchell said, there were three things. First of all, there is the man himself. Secondly, there is the people. And thirdly, There is what God's doing. Jones. What's happened at 30 people is that everybody knows everybody's business and they are a neat little family. They have to change the way they are going to view their church. They have to break the family barrier and become a larger assembly. One of the things that happens is that if there is any undermining or anybody is having a problem, then everybody knows about it. So what they have to do is turn their focus from inward to outward. They have to become more involved in evangelism. What they need is to be a team. That pastor needs to make them feel like they are a team, like they're all on the same side. There are barriers and faith breaks barriers. There are saturation points. I don't know what they are, I don't know what the man's ability is to meet the needs of those people, but he is going to have to read more. He is going to have to discipline himself more. He's going to have to be nice. He's going to have to keep his mouth shut and not air his opinions on everything that happened last week, live clean, and not hang around those people constantly. I know pastors that are hardly ever with their people, whereas some are with them constantly. Familiarity breeds contempt. They begin to see little discrepancies. Have you ever thought of quitting? Warner. I think everybody has felt like quitting. But what am I going to quit to? When I got saved, I didn't condescend to go into the ministry. I was elevated from zero into privilege. Without sounding prideful, God did call me. If he called me, he can help me. Jones, yes, I have, about every day. Harris, yes, that was after Nogales, when I came home to the first conference, after Nogales, it had been an unfruitful time, and that was tormenting me. God promised to me, out of the agony of that experience, that he would make me fruitful. The desire of my heart was to be fruitful. I felt like I had failed God in my calling and the church. How do you encourage yourself or bring yourself through the times you feel like quitting? Warner, one of the biggest sources of encouragement is that when you start to reach people, you see fruit, you see their lives change, you see the need of their lives, and you cry out for God to help you to keep going because... There are people depending on you. A genuine convert can keep you going for a long time. Jones, what keeps me going is that, in my heart, the love of Christ constrains me. I can honestly say that I am not motivated by money or position or recognition, but Christ and his call and a care for people and serving people is the motivation of my life. Whether I'm a success or a failure is not the question. The issue is that it is the will of God. That motivates me. Really, I don't think about quitting every day, but I have more than once thought of quitting. Harris, the call of God. I fantasize about quitting all the time, even to this day. The reason is because I don't like responsibility. A large church is a tremendous responsibility with tremendous demands on you so I fantasize. I think maybe there would be a better way of life that would be easier for me to cope with. Ministry is hard on me emotionally. Whenever I think about trying to alleviate pressure by getting out of the ministry, I can see myself working on a job. There is nothing wrong with working on a job, but the one area that still depresses me is when I consider trying to quit, it's almost like I'd thrown my life away. No matter what I did, if I indulged my wildest fantasies to be a movie maker or whatever, I would have an emptiness and hollowness inside. My idea of success is simply to fulfill the will of God in ourselves. What happens to the man who allows this to cause doubts of his pastor? Jones. I would say it is one of the darkest periods in a man's life. It's such an awesome violation— Because there has been such an investment of love and generosity, a man has to realize that the problems are his, not his pastor's. His problem is not his money, his equipment, his city, or his wife, but his problem is himself. That's the key to revival. When a man gets himself saved, he can get somebody else saved. How important are friends? Harris. There are times when you're trying to find your value and worth, and it seems like no one cares. That's when you find your friends. If it had not been for Brother Mitchell, I would have never survived. Warner One of the things that makes us is our zeal for God, and that's the basis for our friendship. Our destiny is found only in fellowship, and when it's all said and done, that is a very valuable thing. Jones. Friendship is everything. It was a friend who called me when I was out of the will of God. He talked to me and showed me that he cared. It's friendship that will ultimately hold us together, not the fact that we're in the hottest thing happening. What causes me to do things that I do is a genuine relationship of love. Then is it serious when pastors isolate themselves? Jones. Yes, it's a serious problem, because they begin to take themselves too seriously. The only people we have are our men. The devil knows that if he can isolate us from our men, then he's won half the battle. It's a strategy to bring discouragement and disillusionment. Warner. I've seen instances of isolation coming because of failure. They come to conference they begin to separate themselves. They're off in a corner and don't want to fellowship with anyone. The other extreme is isolation because of success. None of us in ourselves are ever going to accomplish the will of God. We are going to accomplish what God calls us to in fellowship. The beauty of fellowship is that we become what we could never be in ourselves. I remember going to Australia and getting off the plane in a place that I had never been before, and here were all these people there to meet me. They didn't know me, but they were there like I was somebody important. In relationship, we become what we could never be in ourselves. What about mistakes? Harris, in reality, some of the biggest men that we have have probably made some of the biggest mistakes. The measure of a man is not in whether he makes mistakes or not. Mistakes are implied in a fallen nature. The measure of a man is how he handles his mistakes. Does he cover them up? Is he willing to look at them? Some people can make a mistake and instead of coming to grips with it and allowing God to purge it out, they just begrudge everybody because they were corrected or they hate themselves because they're not perfect. Their egos tell them that they shouldn't have been capable of failing, which is ridiculous. It's not whether you can knock a man down or not. Every man can be knocked down. The question is, can you get back up? Can you function again? Can you come to grips with your mistake and learn from it and be wiser and know not to make the same mistake again? Is exposure important? Harris. Yes, that's called repentance. Communication with headship is vital. If you have failure, or even if you sin, you can't just cover it up. It must be exposed. It has to be dealt with. What would you do differently in pioneering if you did it again? Harris, I'd have gone to medical school. Not really. If I could have done anything different, I'd have done everything different. I'd use the knowledge that I have now. Everything that I'm telling you was hard-earned and hard-learned. All the mistakes I'm mentioning, I made. That's why I understand them. And if I was going out to pioneer and could take my hindsight and apply it, I would. But then life is something that you learn. It's just like raising kids. You don't know how to raise kids until they're all grown up And you can look back and see all your mistakes jones there are some things that you can't do any different how can you have the fifth baby any differently than you had the first one there are certain things that are involved there are some things though i wouldn't do i would be easier with people i would give them time to grow i would enjoy it maybe i'd enjoy the quiet times and even enjoy the times when I didn't have anything to do. I would be careful of who I brought in. I wouldn't just bring in anybody and let them do a hatchet job on my people. I would do things in a more of a rhythm rather than run them to death when they have only been saved three months. Warner. Any blessing that there has been in Tucson has been in spite of a number of dumb moves. If I was to do it again today, there would be the balance of real strong convictions, but they would be tempered with a grace and an ability to work with people. As a young pioneer pastor, our egos are involved and we really do have something to prove. And when we have something to prove, that somehow blinds us in working with people and dealing with situations because our egos are on the line. Without any reference, any background, or any experience, we usually choose for ego and that which is going to reinforce us, rather than what's going to be best for the kingdom and the church. The second thing is that I might have made some changes on the appearance of our building. I don't know if I could have done much with our building, it was so old, but I probably should have been more aware of those things than I was. That's why these things are important, but at the same time, they can be overcome. Our building was the strangest thing in the world. We had three different colors of carpet, and so it was only grace that anything happened. What are the benefits of pioneering? Warner. The benefits are that these are your people, and you develop because you work with them, because you travail with them and develop a real burden for them. There is a personal investment in those people that sometimes, when you take a church, even though you do care about people, that you just don't have. It's the same old thing. The children of millionaires usually end up to be real rip-offs because they've never grown to appreciate what they have. There is a special confidence that comes when a man takes something from nothing and sees it grow before his eyes it's a confidence that God has used us. Jones, the benefit is that there are people who will forever praise the glory of God. The benefit is that there are lives changed for eternity. There is no greater benefit than people who are saved and serving God.
1: of Chandler Conference, so please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.